Brand new series today, five, six weeks. We're going to be talking about stress. Would you agree uh, that the more stress we have in our lives, the greater the probability that we make bad decisions? Would you agree with that? There was uh, actually, oh, we're way ahead. Let's go back to the, we're way ahead. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Uh, there was a company in, um, in Europe for out of uh, Netherlands. And it was an electri- electrician company, electronics company. They created a bracelet, and it was primarily marketed uh, for people working in the stock exchange there. And uh, they, they, what it did is it would flash from yellow to red if they detected increased levels of stress, increased levels of blood pressure. Uh, and if it got to the, to the extreme level, it would send you a message. And the message was, time to take a time out and reconsider your actions. Wouldn't it be great every once in a while if someone tapped you on the shoulder, if you were getting overly stressed and told you that, hey, you're getting a little stressed, time to take a time out. And reconsider the consequences of your actions. Why? Because in this case, there's financial consequences to making decisions based upon stress. You and I know there are relational consequences to making decisions on stress. There are spiritual consequences. There are physical consequences. The consequence of having increased levels of stress in our life is not healthy. It's not healthy. So we're going to be talking about that in terms of what to do about it. The goal is not to eliminate stress. That's naive. We're not going to be able to eliminate it. But we can conquer it. That's what we're talking about. How does God give us the ability and the strength to conquer stress? Uh, we're going to start by jumping in to the definition. Uh, when I've taught on this in the past, I, I, I look at the more current definition. The one that, I, that is now being talked about quite a bit by counselors and therapists, let's put it up on the screen, is this. Stress is a lack of balance. Just those three words kept my attention. When we lack balance in our life, it leads to emotional and mental pressure or tension. Now, um, as soon as people start talking about stress, people that are experts in this area, whether they're authors or therapists or professors and such, they are very quick to point out that some level of stress is actually good and positive for people. Because it motivates us to actually get things done. So a lot of the students that are with us this morning, they have just gone through the pressure and the stress of final exams just recently. And the pressure and the stress of a final exam and possibly getting a good grade should motivate that student to study more. If you're a salesperson, sometimes salespeople have quotas that they have to to, to hit. And that pressure of hitting that quota is a motivating factor to actually go out there and, and, and make some some sales, right? Um, when it comes to instruments, you got a guitar over there, and that guitar has pressure or tension on the strings. If I went over to Sam's guitar and turned the knobs and took all the strain and pressure and stress out of that string, the guitar wouldn't sound the way it's intended to sound. And so if you've ever played any kind of sports, coaches will know that at times, especially in practice, You want to add pressure to your players because it increases the probability that on game day, their performance will be what it needs to be. So not all stress is bad. What we're going to focus on is when we get to unhealthy levels and or we allow unhealthy types of stress in our life. Now, over the next five weeks, we're going to be pinpointing certain causes. We'll be diving into the primary causes but what I want to do now and this morning is really the big picture of stress. So let me give you the main 
causes of stress. Let's talk about them real quick. Let's put them on the screen. Worry and anxiety is a huge stress producer, right? We're worried about the kids. We're worried about the health and what the doctor says and the tests are coming back. We're worried about our elderly parents. We're worried about our jobs. We're worried about the warriors. All this worry and anxiety, right, can produce stress, right? You got daily frustrations. It's just what daily frustrations is, you know? The shower doesn't work the way you want it to. The traffic. People at the supermarket get into 12 items or less line. They got 24 items, you know? It's just daily frustrations. Overload. You got too many things on your to-do list. You ever feel that way? You got more things than you have time to get done, you know? You, go, you come from work, you go home, and you're still working. You, failure is a tremendous stress producer. Tremendous, you know, when you, when you don't live up to your own expectations or other people's expectations. Anything related to your job can produce stress. So a loss of a job, or you're unhappy at a job, even getting a new job, or you're almost done with your job and getting to retirement. It's amazing how... So many different areas related to career or job can produce stress. Sometimes it's the people that you have to work with or your boss that you have to report to. It's, it's just stressful. It's hard. Guilt is a big stress producer. You know, some of us parents beat ourselves up. We look past it, you know, how we didn't do this or we should have done this for our kids and blah, blah, blah. Or mistakes you've made in your past can produce stress in your today. Finances is a tremendous stress producer. Um, and now the reality is, is that the, the stress that comes from finances is either because you're working your tail off, but you don't have enough to make ends meet, or you have plenty of money and it has nothing to do with having enough money. It has everything to do with your spending too much. And sometimes it is a self-induced stress producer because we don't have budgets and we're not controlled in our spending. Uh, the next one, family, that never produces stress, does it? No, in-laws and uh, kids and spouses, and that can produce stress. Change, we know, is a part of life. Change can even be good. But if we're honest, even good change can be stressful, can be a little bit challenging. The death of a loved one or a traumatic event, it's stressful. It's difficult. It's hard to handle. Um, Difficult people, difficult people at, at home, difficult people in the neighborhood, difficult people at school, difficult church people you have to sit next to during the service. I mean, it's just challenging and difficult people can add stress to your life. Giving a public speech, that that is one of the highest stress producers for some people. They don't want to give a presentation at work. I don't want to talk in public. I don't want to do a speech at school, right? I've actually had some people say to me, and I, I guess it falls into this category sort of, that they don't want to sign up for a small group Bible study here. Why? I don't want to be asked to pray in public in front of other people right? I, I guess what I'd want to say to you as your pastor is this. Number one, don't think of prayer as a speech. Makes me think you're trying to impress the people around you, and that's not the point of prayer. And as your pastor, I, I do understand that, that prayer can, in this, at least initially, it can create a little bit of uneasiness. I'm not accustomed to praying out loud in front of others, but I want to challenge you and encourage you as part of your growth process and spiritual formation, you need to have to learn to push through that, because that is part of of what scripture says we're to do. It's not just pray privately, but pray with other believers. And so it's just something you need to to learn how to do. Divorce can be a tremendous amount of stress. Obviously related to what leads to that is very difficult. Um, Even good things can produce stress, like moving to a new home or planning a wedding. Have you ever done one of those lately? Help someone plan a wedding? The marriage is good, but planning that sucker can produce a a ton of stress. Everyone loves going on vacation, but preparing for a vacation can be stressful. 
If you have a chronic illness, you have a chronic illness or someone close to you, a spouse or a parent has a chronic illness, it can be very stressful. Um, having multiple young kids, if you have two kids under the age of five, right? Or if you have three or four kids, no matter what age there are, right? It can be stressful. I don't know if you've noticed. Every once in a while, you'll see someone during the worship time and you'll glance over at them and you'll be like, man, they are filled with the spirit of God. No, they're not. They have two young kids. They drop them in the back and they're just glad to have an hour to themselves. They are just happy, right? Uh, the, the last two, confrontation and conflict can be very stressful. Um, if you have a conflict with, with, with a family member, if you have conflict at work, if you have responsibility as a manager at times to confront other people, some of you are just, you're, you hate conflict. Uh, by the way, if you love conflict, you do need therapy, right? It's normal to not enjoy doing that, but it's necessary in, in many cases to just, hey, I need to talk to you, whether it's to you to your kid or if you're a management position to do those kind of things. Uh, but I, I'm just, I guess I'm curious, you look at that list, how many of you are more stressful right now than you were three minutes ago before we put that list up there? You're like, yeah, you're right. Uh, on the way out, we do have some Xanax in case you need anybody. Well, uh, Xanax, if you don't know, is, is one of the prescriptions that is given for anxiety. Uh, let me take a little quick tangent, and I did that on purpose. Let me give you my unprofessional opinion about medication as it relates to stress and anxiety. For some of us, we've taken medication for anxiety or for as, uh, emotional issues, things like that. In some cases, it's very helpful and it's very necessary. Um, I, I, I'm not one of those pastors that's anti-psychology, anti-therapist, anti-medication. I think it can be very, very helpful and necessary. Let me also say, however, just be careful. I think, I just have a suspicion, we are going to look back at our times and our generations uh, a generation and conclude that maybe we medicated a little too quickly. So I would just say use it, but use it as a last resort. Work at all the other things that you can do and try and work out before you give medication to your kid or you take medication. can be very good, can be very helpful, um, but just, just be careful. Don't, don't jump at it at the first, at the first uh, problem that you have. What, I, what I'm going to try and do this morning and over the next five weeks is I'm going to give you something far more beneficial than Xanax. I really believe that. I'm going to talk to you about how God plans to help relieve your stress and how to help you conquer your stress. You'll never eliminate it, but we can conquer. What we're going to do is we're going to start by, uh, again, this morning is the big picture. So we're going to look at what Jesus says about stress and, and about anxiety. And, and then we're going to talk and talk about seven practical steps. And you're going to, I'm going to ask you right now to pick one of them at the end um, that, that you're going to apply immediately. But let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. If you're looking at this topic of stress, you have to spend some time in Matthew chapter 11. So Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened and stressed. If you're, if you're stressed, come to me, he says, and I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, me, uh, on you, learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, just a quick thing to point out. In the first time he says it, I'm going to give you rest. Like he takes it and he just places it in your lap. And then the second time he says, you're going to have to find it. It's not like you have to play hide and go seek with God to find the rest. But there's a suggestion and implication that sometimes he just plops it in your lap. And other times you got to work for it a little bit. So I'm going to give you the steps in terms of what you got to do and work. But let's break it down just a little bit real quickly. 
you should notice that Jesus uses two words that we would kind of use as it relates to stress. He says, weary and burdened. Now, I looked it up. The Greek word that Jesus uses for the word weary means to be completely exhausted, fatigued, emotionally, and physically spent. You ever feel that way? You get to the end of the day, get to the end of the week, and you're just like, you know, hey, should we go out for dinner? Should we go to a movie? And you're like, no, I just want to sit on the couch. I am just so tired and so exhausted, right? And sometimes it's physical, and sometimes it's just, it's emotional. I'm fatigued emotionally. The second word he uses is a very colorful word. It's the word burden. And it literally carries with it the idea of to stagger under a heavy weight. So I want you to think of a strongman competition. They're picking up telephone poles or big tires and everything. Or you think of an of Olympic um, you know, weightlifter and they lift up the weight and, and they got it above their head, but they're staggering. Their legs are buckling a little bit because what they're holding is kind of a little heavier than they should be lifting. And it's this idea, Jesus says, is listen, life is going to be heavy. Your life, your issues, your problems, your circumstances cause a level of weight. Now, what happens though, and in this case, that word carries also the word picture of a boat that has too much cargo on it. And it's going to capsize because there's too much cargo on it. It's one thing to carry the weight of my life. But here's the situation that many of you, many of us have. I'm not only carrying the weight of my life, I'm carrying the weight of other people's lives. Now, in some cases, we do it willingly, like the weight of our kids. We're responsible for them. Or the weight of an elderly parent that we're trying to kind of take care of, right? Or some of you have a tremendous amount of weight and pressure that comes from work. And so you have all this weight that gets piled on your shoulders. And just like that weightlifter in the Olympics whose legs are buckling, that's the idea. And so Jesus asked this morning, anybody weary? Anybody burdened? Anybody stressed and feel like they have the weight of the, of the world on their shoulders? I think a lot of us do. At some point in time, we feel that way. Now, real quickly, Jesus gives three suggestions. And we're going to come back to it during this series. But this is Jesus real quickly giving you big picture. What do I want you to do? Three things. Number one, he says, I want you to come to me. Number two, I want you to take my yoke. Number three, I want you to learn from me. Let's just talk about it real quickly. Number one, come to me. Notice he doesn't say come to church. That's very good. That's very helpful. I'm glad you're here. But that's not what he says. He says, come to me. He doesn't say come to a therapist, counselor, or the pastor and sit down. That can be helpful. doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I want you to, um, I want you to come to the pharmacy and get a, yeah, a prescription. We've already talked about that a little bit. doesn't say that. He says, come to me. And it's this idea that, listen, for you to have a vibrant, real, authentic relationship with God, it starts and always goes through his son, Jesus. Always. You've got to go through him, right? You've got to make the intentional choice to invite him in to your life as Savior and Lord, and he has to be the center of your life. Not part of your life, not important in your life, the center of your life. I don't know if you know this, uh, but there's an interesting detail about hurricanes. We don't have hurricanes in this part of the country. We get earthquakes. Other part of the country gets hurricanes, right? But we get it in our news, right? And they're talking about it, and they give it a name and everything, and it's coming up the coast of Florida. One of the interesting things about hurricanes, right? It's got violent winds, 
Uh, it's got rain that comes from every direction and sideways, right? It's got lightning and thunder. It's a very destructive storm, right? And it produces a tremendous amount of loss, not only of life, but of property at times. But what's interesting about a hurricane is what's right in the middle of it. It's typically referred to as the eye of the hurricane or the eye of the storm. And what's interesting is that while there is chaos and destruction on the outer parts of the hurricane, what meteorologists tell us about the eye of the storm, what's in the middle of that hurricane, is there's complete peace, there's complete calm and quietness. It's weird. It's strange. But that's how it can also be in your life. Chaos on the outside, craziness on the outside, problems on the outside, but at the core of who you are, if Jesus is at the center of your life, there's peace and there's calm. You remember the, the slide I had in all the different causes for stress? Have you noticed that sometimes people, you look at that list and you go, yep, I got that, I got that, I got that, they got that one. And there's people that have, you could, they could check off five, six, seven, but you look at them and they're, you're like, man, they seem pretty, pretty okay. They seem pretty, like they're handling it just well. You want to know the reason? Because they're centered. They're centered. Have you also noticed that someone has one of them, just one of those bullet points, and their life completely falls apart? Why is that? So much of it comes down to this very first point. Is he or is he not the center of your life? It's just that. Just stay right there. Jesus says, I want you to come to me. I want you to come to me. The second thing is he says, I want you to take my yoke. Now, most of us don't understand what that is because we're not farmers. But Jesus uses a common tool in their days, puts a spiritual spin on it that makes sense. A yoke was a long piece of wood, and then it also had attached two kind of U-shaped leather pieces on either side. And a farmer would take two of its cattle or oxen and put the U-shape on their necks, connect them with this board, then attach a tool to it and have the oxen move forward, and he would till the ground and prepare it for planting. Now, why this is so important is that if I, as a farmer, have two oxen, and I'm trying to till the field, but I don't have a yoke, well, one oxen's going to go this way, and the other one's going to go that way, and it's going to make a mess of the field. You need the yoke to keep them together, to keep controlled, to have a field that is productive and successful. So Jesus takes this idea that they understand and puts a spin on it and says, listen, what a yoke is to a farmer, my system is to your life. This keeps you centered. This keeps your field of your life successful. If you choose not to use my system, go ahead and do what the world does. Try their system. But what's going to happen is someone's going to go this way and someone's going to go that way. Watch what's going to happen to your field. Watch what's going to happen to your field. The, the best way I could explain it was this. I, we've all done it at some point in time. You're driving not on the highway, but kind of on a side road, maybe somewhere kind of El Sobrani County, in, in, in our area county. And it's, the, the roads aren't, aren't like it's in a city road, right? And you've got, you've got lines, but right off past the line, past the concrete, if, if, if you drift past the line, maybe you're doing something with the radio or looking back at the kids or something like that, and you drift past off the line, and you get into the gravel area, what happens to your car? It starts shaking. It starts rumbling. It's not running as smooth. So what do you do to get it smooth again? You get back on the concrete, right? You want to know why some of our lives are rumbling and shaking? And... Because you're not in the lines. 
you've shifted outside the lines and you're living in a way that is not conducive to how he wants you to live. Now, that's not always the case, but some of us are over here and we're wondering what's going... You got to get back in the line. Get back on the concrete. Get back on his way and watch what happens to your field. See, it's one thing to embrace Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and then it's quite another thing to obey him. See, the first one, Savior and Lord, that's great, the Savior, that's great for eternity. But the obedience helps you right here today, right now. You want lower levels of stress? Then get off the gravel and get back on his yoke and his way. By the way, he does add in verse 30. I didn't put it up there on the screen for you. But a little later on, Jesus adds this. He says, my yoke is easy or light. And Jesus anticipates that there are going to be people in the world or even people within the church that will go, this is impossible to follow. It's impossible to stay on his road. It's so hard. It's so heavy. You know what? There is some challenge to this book. No question. But in comparison to the world's way, this is a piece of cake. This is easy. This is money right here. You want a smooth life? Right here. If not, try the other way. Try, the, try what it's like to, dry, to drive on gravel for a while. And very quickly you'll realize this is challenging. But comparatively, it's light. It's light compared to the world's way. Come to me, invite me into your life. Take my yoke, obey me. I didn't have it in the notes. I don't know, I, I just missed it. But the last one's very important. Learn from me. He doesn't just say learn about God. No, no, no. I want you to imitate the way I live. I want you to imitate me in your life. It's so important to do that. So now, listen, I want you to think about this as a math formula. Do you want rest for your soul? Here's what you're going to do. You're going to, number one, invite Jesus in your life. And if you haven't done that, just could you come to me or go to the prayer room, grab someone and go, how do I do that? I'm, I'm glad you're here, but if you've not embraced him as Savior, you've got to figure that out. It's not hard. <clears throat> it's a decision to do. Invite him into your life. Step number two, start obeying him. I don't need to tell you. A lot of you already know what you need to do. Just start doing it. And number three, start copying Jesus. One plus one plus one equals rest for your souls. Now, here's what you need to understand about the promise that Jesus gives. Here, I want to give you rest for your souls. I want to gift that to you. It's one of the 7,000 promises we have in Scripture. But here's what you need to understand. It is a conditional promise. In other words, there are conditions before you get it. If you don't do step one, two, and three, you don't get the rest for your souls. You don't get the peace of God. You get to live with your stress. Does that make sense? So my job today and the rest of this series is to try and show you what, what does that middle one, what obedience application things can I do because I want to get off the gravel and back on the road. What do I do? So we're going to look at a passage in Philippians where Paul is, honestly, he's in a very, very stressful situation. He's in prison unjustly and unfairly, okay? I can't think of anything more stressful than that. He's in prison. And in the midst of this very challenging, traumatic situation, he gives a seven-step plan to reduce or minimize or conquer stress. I'm telling you, right at the end, in about 20 minutes, I'm going to ask you out of the seven, which one are you going to do? You ready? Here we go. Let's read the passage. It's Philippians chapter 4. And then I'm going to give you the stress relief plan for this morning. Here's what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. If you didn't hear me, I'm going to say it again. I want you to rejoice. 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, that's what we want, right? You don't want stress. The opposite of stress is the peace of God. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which means it doesn't make sense. To the world, it just doesn't make sense that you can have all this craziness and chaos in your life, but still be centered, still be at peace. That peace, which transcends all understanding, is going to guard your heart, and it's going to guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, if something is true, if it's noble, if it's right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, I want you to think about and dwell upon those things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, I want you to put into practice. And the God of peace, there he's reminding us again, the opposite of stress, the God of peace will be with you. I'm going to give you seven steps. Be listening for the one you're going to apply. Step number number one is this. Smile and enjoy living. Smile and enjoy living. The book of Philippians, the constant theme is this idea of joy. And in verse four, the only time he repeats himself. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, just in case you missed it, I'm going to tell you again. I need you to, if you want to reduce stress, rejoice. Learn to smile in life and enjoy life. In the spring of 1995, Major League Baseball was fundamentally different for a couple weeks. Um, When the spring training started and the team started practicing and playing games against each other, uh, all you need to know is the players were incredibly out of shape. They'd never been that bad. They were hitting very few home runs, so nothing exciting was happening. Even very routine ground Double play balls were not happy. I mean, it was, it was the worst baseball that we had seen in spring uh, training for years. But there was one fundamental difference. The players were having a blast. Now, if you don't, aren't a big baseball fan, you, you haven't connected the dots. You don't remember what happened in 1995 in the springs. You see, what happened is the professional players of baseball went on strike. And the major league owners decided to try and put pressure on the professional players. So they did the unthinkable. They'd never done it before. They had open tryouts and they hired onto their teams what is still referred to as replacement players. So they had tryouts all across the country for people to play on the Yankees and the Boston Red Sox and the Oakland A's and the Diamondbacks and the Cubs and the St. Louis Cardinals. All these guys who hadn't played baseball since high school were coming out, trying out, and a couple of them making the team. And they got to put on the uniform and go out there and live out their dream of, quote, being on a major league baseball team, if only for a couple weeks. The reporters reported one of the unique things about the spring training games is at the end of the game, there were more players willing to give autographs than fans than wanted the autographs. <laughs> Baseball was horrible. But what was fundamentally different is there was playing with such joy. They were loving the experience. And the answer to why is very simple. They knew They were living a life they didn't deserve. They knew, I'm not good enough to wear this uniform. I just, but look look at the gift I've been given. 
for at least a couple weeks, I get to put on a major league baseball jersey and pretend like I'm something. They were living a life they didn't deserve. And you know what? So are you. You don't deserve to be clothed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't deserve when you're going to get an eternity. You don't deserve it, and neither do I. And if for no other reason, no, I get it, there's health issues. And I get it, there's family issues. And I get it, there's job issues. I get that. And I'm not meaning to minimize that. I'm asking you to look at the big picture. And if this book is true, and I believe that it is, you are living a dream. And for no other reason, you should be able to smile and enjoy life. You've heard me say this before. I think Christians should be the happiest people on earth. I I think we should smile more than anyone else. The problem is some of us are kind of grumpy. Not this service. That's mainly first service people. You know how they can be. You guys are great. Guys, do you realize the gift that we've been given just in salvation? Just stay right there. Not even all the other things he's been given us. You want to reduce your stress level? Learn to smile. Learn to enjoy the good things that you have in life. Step number two, chill when arguing. Chill when you're arguing. See, Paul knows, and we had it on the screen. One of the stress producers that we have, I know for me, you know, there's some things that don't stress me, other things that do. One of the things that stresses me is problems and conflict between people. If I have a conflict with someone, or there's someone in the church, or in the coworkers that are having conflict, it just, it bothers me. It kind of stays on my mind and on my heart, you know. And, and, and Paul know, uh, that knows that that happens to people like me and many of you, that conflict, if you've had a conflict with someone in your family or someone at work and it's not resolved, it lingers with you. It stays with you, right? And he says, listen, when you're having a conflict, when you're having an argument, I need you to implement an attitude into the situation that'll fundamentally transform and change how stressful that situation is. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to choose to be gentle in the midst of that situation. In the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the disagreement, in the midst of the argument, choose to be gentle. Okay? Now, here's here's what I want to ask you. Do you have someone in your life that you know of that deserves a slap upside their head? Yeah? Are you sitting next to them about... No, I don't ask... We all know someone that deserves a slap upside the head because of something they did at work, or, right? And here's what Paul is saying. In that situation, make a choice. Be gentle. So I want you to think, let's rewind the tape. Rewind the tape. The last week, last two weeks, last month, I want you to think of right now as best as you can the last argument or conflict you had with someone at home, at work, in the car on the way to church, at school, whenever it was. Think about it right now. Last argument, last conflict you had. You got it? Here's the question I have for you. Would the other person or would the other people that observed that conflict, that argument, that situation, how would they describe you? Would they describe you as handling the situation tenderly or harshly? Be honest. How would they describe you? Did you handle it tenderly or did you handle it harshly? You see, when you come to a conflict, when you come to an argument, and you come to this little fire that we got going on, you show up with two buckets. One bucket is full of water. The other bucket is full of gasoline. Are you inflaming the situation and making it worse? 
or are you cooling it down? Are you increasing the stress level within you and everyone else, or are you lowering the level? See, this, it's not just about you living a stress-free life. It's about the people around you not being so stressed either. Learn to chill a little bit when there's a conflict. And let's just be honest. For some of us, the greatest application point to this point is at home. We are more professional at work than we are at home. We watch our words at work much more carefully than we do at home. But let's just be honest and call it what it is. Maybe we just got to learn to chill a little more at home. Step number three. So, so far, smile and enjoy living. Chill when arguing. Number three, worry about nothing. Verse six, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Now, anything, as best as I could tell, is 100%, right? Don't worry about anything. So is there any wiggle room? No. Is there an asterisk that says, well, don't worry about work and about health, but you're allowed to worry about your kids. Does it say that anywhere in there? No. There's no wiggle room. Don't worry and be anxious about anything. Now, I'm telling you in advance, this topic will be an entire week. Because for some of us, this consumes us. This controls us. And we know it about ourselves, and we've tried to fix it, and we can't. Let me give you a couple quick suggestions. You know this, but anxiety disorders, the most recent studies say that not only is it the most common mental illness in the United States of America, 18% of Americans are affected by this. One out of five struggle with worry and anxiety. One out of five openly admit and or have been diagnosed to not be able to handle anxiety and worry the way they should. This is a serious problem. On top of it, research shows us, listen to this, and you, we know this though, 40% of what we worry about never happens. It never happens, right? Like your phone going off right in the middle of the pastor's sermon. That happens, but not normal things. <laughs> He's stressed right now. of what we worry about happens with our past. And you can't can't change it. So 70% of what we're worrying about, check this out, 70%. We're just spinning our wheels, just spinning our wheels, just spinning our wheels. Now, part of the problem with worry, and you're not going to like what I'm going to say right now, but my job is not whether you like it or not. My job is to speak the truth to you based upon God's word. So here we go. Part of the problem with worry is this. It's a theological problem, not an emotional problem. Part of worry, not all of it, but part of worry at the core of what worry is is you want to control your life and you don't trust God to handle it for you. There it is. Not all of it, but some of it. Guys, you can't control the problems around you. Not all of them. Have you noticed that? You can't control the problems at work. You can't control the problems at work, at at home. You can't control a lot of the issues that come at you. And at some point in time, you have to choose to trust that God's going to handle it as best as he chooses. And he's going to give me the strength to make it through. We'll talk about this, but for some of you, that's your action point. I need to work at that. Number three is mine, okay? Number four is pray about everything. Kind of follows from this last one, right? But in verse 6, he says, in every situation, there we go, 100%, every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You see, pastor, I just, I don't want to bother God. 
He's got a world to run. I don't want to bother him with my small problems. The issue, though, is that everything is small for God. It's all a small problem for him. Every single part of it. Jesus' brother, Peter, says in 1 Peter chapter 5, cast all your cares upon him. Cast all your anxiety upon him. Cast all your worries upon him because he cares for you. Now, very simple. You either believe that or you don't believe that. That's it. If you believe that, why aren't you giving him your burdens? Why aren't you praying and saying, here, God, I can't handle this. It's yours. It's yours. So let me get real practical, okay? And, and, and I'm going to ask you a, a series of questions. How, how many minutes did you pray this past week about your problems, about your worries, about your whatever it is that's creating anxiety? How many minutes? Did you find a place in your house at a time during the day where this wasn't distracting to you, the TV wasn't distracting to you, the laptop wasn't distracting to you. You put that sucker down, and it's just you and God, and talk to him. How much time did you spend doing that? See, we're more often to talk to our friends about our anxieties, or our counselors about our anxieties, than we are to talk to our God about our anxieties. And I'm not against talking to the pastor, the counselor, or our friends. I'm just saying, Paul says to talk to God about your problems. So don't come to me and go, I got this anxiety, worry, and stress, but not doing this point. Let me get a lot more specific. If I were to ask you to produce right now, at the drop of a hat, a prayer sheet with all your prayer requests written down, all your worries written down, all your anxieties written down, all your issues, problems, concerns on one sheet of paper, do you have it? You see, here's the thing. We will spend all kinds of effort putting a to-do list together for work. Why? Because we know that we have so many things pulling at us at work that if we don't write it down and we don't prioritize and I got to call them back and I got to do that shipping order and I got to order that and I got to send that email out. If we don't write it down, we're likely at the end of the week to forget. We got so much on our plate. You will spend all kinds of effort putting a to-do list together, but you don't have a prayer list together. You will put a supermarket list together because you want to make sure when you go to the supermarket, oh, shoot, I, I, I only went to get milk. That's the one thing I forgot. I got 20 other items, forgot the milk. You know what people who are experts in the area of spiritual formation will say? If you don't have an actual written out list, it's written out with names of people you're praying for and problems you have, if you don't have it written out, your prayer life is nowhere near as strong as it could and should be. You are not that smart to remember all your issues when you pray. You want to know why you can't pray longer than two minutes? You don't have a list. Put that list together. Every once in a while, run back to it. Go, oh, yeah, I need to pray about this. I need to pray about my kid in that situation. I need to... Just start writing stuff down. Watch. Your prayer time will go from two minutes and it'll grow to 10 minutes just like that. Just like that. You talk about application because we all struggle with our prayer time. Put a list together. Just write it down. You already know it. Just write it down. So when you sit down, you start talking about your issues. Number five, 
Thank God in all things. We read this so stinking quickly, we don't catch it. In every situation, oh, let's get the next slide up there. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So listen, I'm going to bring my questions to him. I'm going to bring my issues to him. I'm going to bring my worries to him. But I also, in the midst of that, I also want to spend some time thanking him. I want to take the time to notice all the good things I do have. We all have favorite movies. Some of my favorite movies are Shawshank Redemption and Forrest Gump. I like the Godfather movies. But my favorite Christmas movie is It's a Wonderful Life. I just like that movie. It's an old black and white film. My kids don't like to watch it with me. I'll watch it every Christmas. Right? And it's a story about this guy that he has a little bit of a crisis in his business. And it looks like his business is going to go under. And, and, he, and, and, then, and then he starts second-guessing himself to the point that he concludes, you know what, maybe everyone would be better off without me. Maybe my wife and my family, they could use the, my, my life insurance policy, and I, my, maybe I should just take my life. It gets that bad. So that what God does, the story, the movie, is that God sends him an angel. His name is Clarence. And Clarence gives him a gift. The gift is to see what life would be like in everyone else's life if you weren't there. And what he realizes is, I have had an impact. In my small way, I have influenced people for good. And you know what? Yes, my business is about ready to cave. But I still have my wife and I still have my kids and I still have my friends. And I, I have so much good. And so, of course, then they bring him back to reality. And even though his business is about ready to cave in, he ends up being a grateful, thankful person in the spite of his problems. And you can do the same. You can do the same. Yes, some of you have huge problems. And I'm not minimizing them. Don't, I'm not minimizing them. God doesn't say, I want you to be thankful for everything. That would be ridiculous. Thankful for cancer? How can I be thankful for cancer? He doesn't want you to be thankful for cancer. He wants you to be thankful in spite of cancer. It's the difference between for and in. Thank God in all things, not for all things. It's vastly different. Some of us have some horrible situations going on in our life. Choose to look at some of the good. Choose to be thankful for the other good things you have. Does that make sense? Watch what happens to your stress level. So smile, chill, worry about nothing, pray about everything, thank God in all things. Number, what am I at? Number six, think about good things. I'm only going to give this a couple minutes, but Paul spends his, most of his time talking about this one. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, if it's right, if it's pure, if it's lovely, if it's admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, I want you to think about those things. I want you to dwell upon those things. You see, if you want to have peace of mind, part of the process of having peace of mind is to identify what's going into your mind. Because whatever's going into your mind will determine what levels of stress and or peace you have. So let's think about that for a moment. I want you to think about the music you listen to, the radio you listen to. I want you to think about the movies you watch, the TV shows you watch. I want you to think about the magazines you read, the novels you read. I want to think you to think about the conversations you have. Be honest with yourself. You're not going to share with me. Be honest with yourself and ask yourself this question. Music that you listen to, 
Do you think the music you listen to, Jesus has on his playlist? And if not, why not? Be honest about the TV shows you watch, the movies you watch on Netflix. Have you ever watched a movie, like for example, Forrest Gump? I told you that was one of my favorite movies. I remember a couple years ago going, hey kids, let's watch this movie. You sit down and watch it with the movie, you're like, ooh, forgot that scene was in there, forgot those words were in there. Has that ever happened to you? Right? And it's, it li- makes you look at films in a different way when your kid's sitting right next to you. What if Jesus was sitting right next to you, watching TV with you, watching Netflix with you? What would he say about the films you watch? Oh, it got real quiet. It looks like I'm preaching good right there. I know I'm preaching good when it gets quiet. <laughs> Guys, we are so consumed with water pollution and air pollution. How about mind pollution? Could we agree that something can be very entertaining and also incredibly unhealthy? You guys know me. You know my personality. I love to laugh. And there are some fabulous comedians out there. I mean, they are funny and make me laugh. But I've stopped listening to them and stopped watching them because they are so vulgar. And they are so unhealthy. And some of the things they say, it's very, very entertaining as in makes me laugh. But it is so unchristian and so unhealthy from a mental standpoint, I choose to go, nope, no more. And that's what I'm asking you to do. For the sake of your stress levels, you have to challenge yourself in terms of what's going in your mind. And just look at the first word. He starts with what is true. Don't forget our enemy is called the father of lies. He's an expert at it. And while he can't read your mind, he can whisper in your ear. And if he can get you to believe lies about yourself, about your life and about your, your God. He's got you. Game over. This is so important. What are you thinking about? Ask any good therapist and they will tell you. Most of their time, they're just spending trying to help their patient recalibrate and reconnect what's going on in their brain. It's so important. Last one. I got to wrap it up. Be content with anything. I added these two verses, but I thought it was important. Verse 12 and 13. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. Notice he says learned. You can learn it, right? You can learn to be ungrateful. You can learn to be content. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry. Contentment means you don't have ambition. There's perfectly fine to say, I want to, Start my business. I want to get a promotion. I don't want to drive the crappy car I got. I want to drive a nicer car. I want to move to a better house. There's nothing wrong with that. Contentment is this. It's the choice to be happy now with what I have now, with where I live now, with what I wear, where I go on vacation now. I'm going to be happy now and not wait till I get something later and then be happy. So many people are living for the future for that. Well, when I get married, then I'll be happy. When I have kids, then I'll be happy. When I get the promotion, then I'll be happy. When I start my business, then I'll be happy. You know, when I retire, then I'll be happy. Why always in the future? How about now? How about now? Contentment is saying, I'm choosing to enjoy life and be be happy with what I have now, even though there's things that I want in the future. Carrie Tim Boom was... A Dutch lady, her family was from the Netherlands, and during World War II, her family would hide uh, people of Jewish descent in their home from the Germans. And she's been known for her writings, and she's a powerful uh, Christian woman. 
And when Corey Tim Boom speaks about this topic of stress, I, she, she, she said one thing in her book that is, is very thought-provoking, and I want to end with this. Let's put it up there. If you look at the world, you're going to be distressed. If you look within you, you're going to be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. I believe that, and I hope you do too. This morning, we've looked at seven steps, seven practical applications. And if the more of them that you do, the greater the chance that your stress level will be conquered and decreased. So let's put them up there. Here's your summary slide. I asked you, and I told you I was going to pick one, ask you to pick one. So look at the, look at the screen. Which one of them are you going to do? Some of you, you need to smile and enjoy life a little bit more. Some of you need to chill when arguing, worry about nothing, pray about everything, thank God in all things, think about good things, which is really watch what goes into my mind, and be content with anything. Look at the screen. Pick the one you're going to apply immediately. Okay, if you have it, I want you to look at me and nod your head. Nod your head. Nod your head. I'm not letting you go until you nod nod your head. Okay, okay, now what I need you to do is turn to the person next to you and tell them what you're going to do. Go ahead, do it right now. Tell the person, I'm out of here, see you next week.